You're listening to Out of Nowhere, a series featuring emergent brands with somewhat unexpected origins. Your host is Justin Watkins of Native Digital, a marketing firm specializing in brand messaging and performance media. Let's jump in. When I started Cruise Foam, it was definitely around this now very obvious, I would say then it was fairly obvious, but a little bit more mainstream is obviously the plastic waste that we have just not only in our oceans, but just entering all of our ecosystems globally at an increasingly mass scale. And I think that's where it kind of bore out as a, a love of the ocean and kind of just a disheartenment seeing just this enormous amount of plastic floating around. And I, I learned how to surf and kind of really dove into it when I went to college Um I'd always been around the ocean, but really surfing really took hold when I was down in Santa Barbara. And, you know, it's not only the the waste, but they have all the oil rigs off the shore and you're kind of just seeing this. You're just like, I don't know. I don't know, man. It just doesn't feel quite right. And and that's where I think my trajectory in life changed because I was going into school as a chemical engineer. And I kind of ironically was looking at the oil industry as a career path and a couple of big life changes happened during college and I, I shifted pretty heavily and it, it's something I really haven't looked back on, but originally, originally I would say a problem, you know, but what's funny is I look at it now and I look at the position of where we've been, you know, lucky and, and I would say strategic really developed this technology that seems to be resonating on a scale and at, at a rate that's kind of surprising given all the macro barriers for, I would say, adoption and kind of like transitioning supply chains. And for us, I think it's that opportunity now that seems really enormous, but on a scale of impact that no way did I originally think was what I was getting into. You know, it kind of started, let's make some surfboards. That's a terrible material. And now it's I mean, the companies that we're chatting with is just, it's something I would have never imagined would be, be happening. Um, and I think it just really is, is telling of where I think the global kind of materials in general and just how we're thinking about them and developing the for products for packaging is really shifting heavily. So it's, it's an exciting time. That's cool. So it sounds like the idea started on a surfboard maybe or around a surfboard, but like how... <laughs> What was the evolution? What was that journey like from like, hey, I think I got an oh. idea to, to today? Because it sounds like you went through a couple iterations and realizations of what it could, what it originally was to what it is today. A hundred percent. I mean, you look at the original idea and it was, hey, we we see this problem. It's mainly kind of around plastics and in general, we weren't really thinking necessarily packaging at the moment. It was kind of like, how do we just rethink the materials we use, where we source them from, what we can make with them. And originally, you know, the idea came from surfboards. We're riding around on essentially one of, one of the worst pieces of trash and materials that you can think of. I mean, it's, it's a higher end use case. It's better than single use materials, but at its core, it's just still kind of really nasty materials. You know, you have plastic foam, you have the resin, and, and, and it's definitely improving. But the one thing we saw just having no solution was the foam core. And it was interesting because at the time we were working with this material, and I mean, we still are, uh, called chitin, this biopolymer, second most abundant on the planet, largely available from waste. And it exhibits really interesting properties, not only in kind of how it exists in crab shells and lobster shells, but the way it polymerizes, it allows to create really interesting substitutes for plastics. And 
I originally got introduced to it through my school when I was at the University of Washington. I met Marco Rolandi, my co-founder, and he was looking at it for high-end research around thin films, really far out there, you know, army-funded stuff. And what we kind of really connected on was surfing, but this idea of no one was really heavily looking at plastic alternatives for foams. And that's where the surfboards was kind of just like, well, hell, if we can make a foam that was performance-wise matching surfboards and these types of material sets like that, it would just be something that hadn't been achieved before. And it would allow us to have a platform, I think, that we didn't realize at the time would go way beyond surfboards. And that's really where that transition started to happen is because like, great, we got this early kind of technology we developed in the lab. It's cool. It's about this big. And we're taking it around to surfers here in Santa Cruz. And they're like, well, that's fun. And, you know, we're like, this is really kind of amazing. And you get people that get it, but most of them are kind of like, okay, you know, cool little experiment. And, you know, you go through the early stages of really trying to understand not only where the technology needs to develop, but how that maps to business. And, you know, I didn't go to school for business. I learned all this on the fly. So it's one of those things where you just surround yourself with good advisors, good people in the network. And, you know, lo and behold, somehow choosing Santa Cruz for surf and developing it here had benefits we never would have imagined. You know, there was certain seeding of early stage entrepreneurial kind of incubators, accelerators. We met, you know, a, a gentleman, his name's Toby Corey. He's now my COO. He has an incredible past, but just his experience at that stage was critical because we went through an exercise to really kind of understand what we were trying to do, both aligning the technology and the business, but ultimately what our vision and mission was for starting this company. And we really boiled it down. It was, as I kind of went through at the beginning, like how are we going to change this trajectory that we're on with just these materials and especially in the single use space. And that's when we understood, well, it's more about addressing that, on a more holistic scale around understanding supply chains and where those entry points are for, you know, they say nice to have, must have, and so on. And it was, surfboards was barely nice to have. And you kind of really understood the transition point and the real inflection that was happening across the industry was clearly in packaging. And we went through the National Science Foundation has a program called the i And I traveled to Australia to do a bunch of customer discovery, going to random at the time, seemingly packaging conferences and just being kind of the, the fly on the wall, but understanding that the opportunity was growing, growing, growing. And it a lot with startups, I mean, half of it's luck with timing. And had we been, had this realization, I would say six months later, we probably wouldn't have survived. It was it was definitely that time mm-hmm. period of, of, of realization that I think we got lucky, but, you know, has turned out to be, extremely strategic for i think where we're where we're headed this year so it's it's gonna be just i think the beginning but it's that's why it's you know something special i think is happening that's cool the thing i love about your story is sort of the relatability and like purity of the idea is it's a couple guys interested in this you know at school but then you're out on the (laughs) surfboard and you're like you know it'd be rad is if we took that material and put it in this thing that we love and then somebody and then somebody in the industry is like, you know, you can sell this many surfboards, you can sell this much, you know, here. And you're like, oh, that's not as cool, though. Oh, but oh, but that's cool. Right. The impact is cool. And then exactly. You, yeah. 
I mean, what for us it was it was funny. We used to joke about having board meetings out in the water, and it, it it was early days. But to your point, it's it's one of those things where you kind of have this realization over time. The idea is the idea to see kind of the inspiration, but it's not really you know the broader vision of what you're trying to achieve for you know what you're going to dedicate your life to. As much as I love surfboards, and I still you know probably can't go into too much detail yet, but there's. Ironically, things are very circular, and we're we're now <laughs> very much seriously looking at surfboards again. Um, but it's funny because through the early days, you kind of, you know, you grow not only I think as a company and learning how to be a business person, if I even would call myself that, but more understanding how to, I guess, simply say run a company. But it's yeah. more about run it through a people, you know, and understanding that. At the core of us as, you know, founders, me, Marco, and I would say Toby, is it's really understanding that it's about the people that surround you, the culture that you build. Because as much as I'd love to say I want to be in that room, you know, doing all the technical work, I'm not the person that's going to do the – that's the person, the right person to be in that room making that happen. And it's because it's a, identifying those gaps, identifying the people that have that aligned passion for you, not for you, for, for your mission and your company – and really bringing that together where you get the best out of everybody around you. And I think that's what's been the most rewarding for me and seeing this transition where originally it was like, oh, let's let's do surfboards. That's cool. Let's, and I, you know, again, so lucky how we didn't even plan it at the time, but again, the culture we'll be able to build around that ethos of surfing, around that connectivity to the ocean has allowed us to, again, attract people that are on a different wavelength, I would say, is what they're trying to do with their career, the impact they're trying to have with their own personal mission, and how that is so resonating with us as a company in general. And and we just get people that have, you know, applied to jobs that are moving out here from Ohio, from North Carolina. I'm just like, really? You have like 30 years experience in, you know, the plastics industry, and it's because they want to see a different path for themselves and it's just an opportunity that is extremely unique and it, it, it's been fun because originally it was you know surfboards let's now let's understand the packaging aspect and the impact there and now it's really become this you know again you always kind of evolve in in how you storytell and kind of how you you see the company positioned especially when you're looking at global you know impact and 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 influence but for me it's like there's so much energy going into supply chains right now of how we really work within the systems of nature. And for me, that's what's been so lacking. When you look, it's, it's simply put, it's like the, the end of life disposal is a great thing. It's so siloed. I think you have to look at, and I'll go into, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the manufacturing of the importance of that, the importance of how we source these materials, but a great example of just how broken and short-sighted it has been for so long you have materials where hey people don't even know if they're getting recycled you know basically is is this styrofoam i'm putting in here is this plastic cup is this bin is it compostable where's it going you really look at some of these numbers and for some of these materials it's not even can it be recycled it's not even can it be collected it's literally there is no infrastructure in which to do so basically styrofoam i think there's 70, I think the report I looked at, and I don't have it right in front of me, but, you know, relatively speaking, there's around 100 or so major material recovery facilities, MERPs. None of them take styrofoam. None of them. So it's like, how could you even 
build a system in which this is going to work if you don't if, regardless of where you source it from regardless of manufacturer it's like literally you are broken in the one thing that is like supposed to work simply and it doesn't and it's like that's where for us when we looked at this we're like man you know we can build materials we can try to fit them in recycling and of course we are i mean of course we are because that's the system which is in place but it's really understanding what's that middle ground of manufacturing what's that beginning of life of sourcing how can we tackle this at the beginning to not i would say honestly have to rely on such broken infrastructure and systems not to transcend transcend them i mean still work within them but have a viewpoint where it's like well, that's clearly not working. How do we reapproach this from the beginning instead of trying to play catch up at the end? It's yeah. just not working. When and you, that's when where you, I think it's really fun. When you say it like that. Terrifying, it, terrifying but fun. Yeah. You know? but, but the way you say it, it's almost, for anybody who hasn't given it serious thought before, is you're like, oh yeah, how how have we not thought through that before? But like out of, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, has persisted for a long time and their externalities around the stuff that we create are just not considered. It was like, how much does it cost and what value does it do to me in the discussion? And the part that was missing exactly. out of the cost standpoint was it's not just what it costs produce and because, hey, not my job. Mm -hmm. And so now we've got ourselves into one hell of a mess. And then the younger generations are looking at us like, what are you guys going to do about this? Yeah, it's 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 kind of a joke a little bit. Like, to your point, it's it's kind of been this shell game to a degree where it's like, hey, this is working. It's it, you know we're building more stuff around, it and it's just it's always been a kind of a losing a losing chess match. There was no catching up, and I think people are very quickly understanding that. You know, the 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 only benefit of at least maybe i shouldn't say the only there's a lot of downside clearly to COVID and and the 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 shift of just i would say general human behavior was though the spotlight that we all were very quickly realizing around supply chains e-commerce the amount of stuff we yep. got to our front door just completely shifted than we would have ever gotten before getting furniture getting different types of, you know, home goods that you would normally go, you know, to the box store down the street to buy, you're now getting the packaging that they would typically rip off and you never would see. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh my good Lord, I ordered one chair and now I, my entire trash can is filled with styrofoam when I literally Everybody can't put anything it. else in there. Still going through it's, it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, and it's, it's like one, literally one thing and you're like, you sit back and you're like, Holy that's one, one product. And it's always one been product. there. We just didn't see it, right? Exactly. Now it's, now it's exactly. sitting in our garage. And we're like, oh, and, this seems pretty yeah. wasteful now. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, wait. And you're like, I can't be the only one who, and I, I don't have a good example off the top of my head, but like where you have some products where you get it, and you're like, well, I know undoubtedly not only is that packaging going to last longer than that product in its lifespan, but I might <laughs> even have that packaging in my garage longer than I have that product because I just, I've never... I don't want to say I'm going to be lazy, but it's just like, when are you going to, I'm, I'm so apprehensive to throw it away, but at the same time, I'm also like, where am I really going to go to to dispose of this? It just isn't feasible. I mean, I won't even go into the way that they try to recycle styrofoam. It's terrifying. I mean, they basically just melt it into compressed snake tubes and some of the facilities around that are, at least the ones I've seen are not what you want to be working in. It's not fun. Um, and, and again, it's like, 
some recycling, but should we even be looking at using these materials for these applications to begin with? And yeah, that's, that's where a the good real question. conversation needs to be happening. Because, you know, it's like one thing recycling, it's almost doesn't even, from my opinion, should be reaching that point of discussion. It should be, well, we have these different materials that we know we can use. Yes, as you said, I'm sure some have some more front-loaded costs than others, but we're getting to the point where that's no longer the only thing we're taking into consideration. We have extended producer responsibility legislation. We have so many other things that are coming across the table that are taking in not only the manufacturing cost of where we're manufacturing these things, the end of life management. And so now it's like, well, instead of making this out of you know polystyrene or instead of making this out of other plastic materials, if we know it's only going to have an actual end youth lifespan of, you know, not even just in the user's hand, which is, you know, for some things is literally like we're saying 10 minutes or less, but even in the shipping logistics of, you know, you're getting one little package thing from Amazon and they put it in a bubble wrap mailer and, you know, it's, or it has like all of these, you know, the, the puff pillows in there and you're literally getting one little box and it has like six puff mailers and they're just like, what are we doing here? How, how is this sustainable in the long term? Yeah. And for us, I think that's where we really want to understand there are applications for so many different types of materials for, for foam in the homes in these last 30 years. Should it have probably a little more plastic? Probably. I don't know. I mean, I would think right now biomaterials probably isn't the best solution for that. Hopefully it is one day. But the point is, is like for Cinco's materials, for getting a TV shipped to your house, for getting your cold ice cream from, you know, Amazon fresh delivery from Whole Foods, why are we using some materials that are just outrageously short-sighted in, in their application? And that's yeah. where I think we're seeing a shift of that consciousness. And it's coming a lot from the consumer and a lot from the industry. I think that's what's the most promising and the most exciting for us in a lot of ways is and I kind of alluded to this at the beginning where originally it was around a problem. And now it's really, there's an opportunity here where this industry, I mean, they want to change for the most part. They're definitely incumbents, which are dug in hard. But I would say that for the most part, you look around that value chain. These stakeholders are looking for opportunities to de- evolve their business, understand the demand of consumers. And I would say just kind of the broader industry of how support supply chains are being built to really support that kind of holistic approach. How are we sourcing these things? How are we manufacturing them? How are we disposing of them? And, you know, some things are a little bit better than others. You know, you look at Europe, you look at France, you know, kind of pushing the, pushing the envelope. I think the U.S. is catching up for sure. But that's where it has to look at so much more than what's my one little town that I'm in or what's the one Murph that's down the street, what's kind of it's. Not that that's not important, but it it's so fractured and so broken right now. It is so difficult for new technologies to understand where the industry is going, how we develop something when it's like, oh, this is going to be implemented in 10 years. And we're like, in 10 years? I mean, I, we'll, we'll plan the best we can. <laughs> like, <laughs> like what legislation or what kind of it, – it's just a little bit non – it's not feasible in so many ways how they're trying to implement some of these strategies. And, and that's where we want to be a voice. And that's where I think it's really important to have that relationship, not only how is this getting collected and disposed, but really understanding the broader supply chains that are influencing yep. these, these ships. So. so talk to me a little bit about the product itself, the sourcing, the manufacturing all, and, and some of its early applications. 
Yeah. Yeah. So when we look at the product itself, Cruise Foam, we really, I think what's really unique is we're really trying to approach this on a fundamental level of what are the materials that we can source that have not only clearly unique properties and what we can achieve in, in, you know, the different products that we can create looking at foams, but you know, other types of materials as well, be it injection molded plastics, be it other adhesives, be it coatings, but really understanding at the material level, what do these certain materials do well? Knowing that, how can we essentially harness these in areas where we see it produced through waste, be through through areas of basically non-virgin materials? We look at, you know, all renewable, everything we use right now is bio-based. And it's understanding that there's so much lost, I would say, in not just industrial processes in general, you know, where we can we capture those waste streams, but really just loss and understanding the opportunities when we look at what nature has been able to develop over such a long period of time. And like I said, chitin is a great example because it has this really interesting hierarchical type of polymerization that's unique and it just creates extremely strong structures. And it's, you know, we don't need a lot of it. And that's kind of the beauty. We were able to use other material sets that we, again, are naturally naturally sourced a lot from waste. And by combining these at different compositions and really kind of creating that tunability, we have a platform which we're able to really create these compositions where we take raw material, you know, powder, flake, literally ground up shrimp, and we put it through a process called extrusion and we get different um, pellets, basically bio pellets. And different ones have different material properties and how we end up processing them. And right now, clearly, the focus is on foam. And what we're able to do is create through existing infrastructure around manufacturing of existing, you know, petroleum-based plastics using the exact same type of extrusion equipment, create foam of these biomaterials that are in the formats of the current plastic foam manufacturing you see today. You'll look at a rolled sheet. You look at a, a large plank and it's doing it in a way where we create a final foam product right now that's clearly looking at the packaging industry, you know, maybe other things that will announce shortly as well. But it's really providing a product in which the industry understands how to use. It has a similar cost structure. We're already very, very cost competitive. And I would say a parity with some of these applications we're looking at. And it's doing it in a way where they don't have to break down everything that they've built for the last, you know, I would almost 100 years, it seems like at this point. And it's that understanding of that transition and being that real catalyst of changes is, is going to require that. You're not going to be able to go in and basically say, hey, yeah. you know, 100 pound gorilla, you got to tear down your $10 billion facility over there and build something completely up because we said you had to, because this thing works. It's never going to, I would say it's never going to work and it's definitely not going to happen quick enough for what we needed to happen. And it's really that realization from us at the beginning was let's take these materials. Let's create a fantastic, you know, products that is really unique, both in its properties, what it can achieve, but do it in a way where it scales quickly at cost and is able to be adopted and used in a way where they can convert these different foam materials into final products with the existing kind of, you know, industry knowledge of how that's done today, you know, be it a, you know, like we're saying a block and brace for a TV, be it a cold chain solution for, you know, pharmaceutical goods, 
be it, um, you know, substitute for, for bubble wrap. And really it's understanding it's not just about our foam necessarily. I mean, that's really the magic sauce in a lot of ways, which enables these unique products. But it's really, again, taking this holistic approach of how do we take this technology and really combine it with what's working, what's not working, and really enhance the capabilities of sustainable packaging materials and supply chains that we just haven't seen the capabilities before because there hasn't been a sustainable foam, in all honesty, that's really been this versatile. It's been, you know, starch peanuts, which I think have a great range of, you know, applications, but again, it's it's limited. And for that, we saw this enormous demand of really creating a foundational platform around biomaterials where we produce with existing machinery, we convert with existing machinery, and at the end of the day, we really have an end of life that's tunable. We can be curbside recyclable. We can be composted. You know, we're, I wouldn't say thrown in the ocean, but it ain't going to cause any harm. I mean, there's definitely better ways to get rid of it. But I, and it's really understanding that it's the, it's the terrible reality that most of these materials, as much as we want to try to capture them, recycle them, reuse them, human nature, and just, I would say, the enormity of the supply chains around packaging, the chaos, the entropy that is created through how these things are distributed, man-made systems are going to have such a difficult time. And I would say nearly impossible to ever control it at a scale that's going to be effective. And that comes back to the beginning. How do we take that realization, that reality, create products, knowing what that end of life likely is going to be and have it be in harmony with nature, have it work within these systems where it's not causing harm. And it's, not always easy, but, you know, innovation is usually not the the easy route. And I think that's where we see people that are, you know, gravitating towards cruise foam from, from all angles. And I think it's just really a testament to, you know, the need and the overall, I would say, just consciousness around humanity for people wanting to see things done differently in a lot of different ways. And this is a good example of that. That's awesome. You guys are hitting a lot of factors. Uh, quick tangent on starched uh, peanuts. Uh, yeah. I helped I help my son with a egg drop competition. He's in uh, fifth grade. And nice. so we, we had starched peanuts. And so we uh, we made something out of that. Uh, don't get egg on starched <laughs> peanuts. Not, not pretty. Just, I mean, ugh. yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like I, I starch and, and, and it's over applications. I mean, we use starch for a number of our formulas. I mean, it's a great... Um, material and how it can be processed alone it just is limited and and it's good how limited it is where you know you basically you're saying get egg on it you get a wet it's gone like that then again that's you can imagine where that doesn't work very well on a lot of things and so that's where how do we find application yep exactly and i i and that's where it's really exciting because you look at you know i think just overall this space is as i said the timing like we really made our switch, I would say, from surfboards into this around late 2018. And I would say it was just around that time frame where we started to see that kind of palpable interest from the industry around engaging, you know. And since then, you know, just look at all these kind of really exciting technologies. And I would say some are probably better suited for packaging. Some are better suited for other things. But, you know, you look at everything from mushroom to seaweed to PHAs. You know, I, I think it's it's an exciting time. I just, what's challenging, and you can kind of, I'm so close to it, but 
you know, you can kind of see it if if you look. There's this unknownness of where a lot of these things are going to land. And I think half of it's just kind of technology development always just has that relative, you know, variability of where and how far is it going to go and in what time frame. But I also think a lot of it is what we've been chatting about is where's the support. And I maybe wouldn't call it support. I would just say like, where is the backing from the industry to really give good alignment and good, you know, direction of where that development is going to be most successful. You know, you can't say, develop exactly for this, but it's like, give us better guidelines. And right now, I mean, we're, I think we're in a lucky position because we have a very tunable material platform that we can work from, make anything, I wouldn't say anything to anything, but it feels like that some days, but it's, it's difficult because I think seaweed's probably going to be better than something that chitin's going to be good for, but it's really hard to, to, to know that right now with, with good certainty and in, in a lot of way the biomaterials are trying to enter the market and a lot of looking at packaging for obvious reasons, but I think that's, I think certain things are going to have higher value for other applications and, and we'll see, I think the next decade, hopefully it's quicker than that, but I'm trying to be realistic at the same time. Um, we'll be telling to see where that goes. We we're fortunate enough to get into some pretty interesting conversations with people who have a, a brilliant idea and the technology that demonstrates it. But oftentimes it doesn't jive well with current infrastructure. It doesn't jive well with current uh, certain behaviors, maybe with buyers or consumers. Yeah. And, and I would say oftentimes there are long ways away to get it to be at cost. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you got to have timing for all of that stuff. I've yet to it's, hear that you've yeah. had a problem with any of those things though. No, honestly, you know, the most challenging for us without a doubt was understanding the roadmap to commercialization more on the front of, Hey, we, we know this will run on existing machinery. You know, you always know until you know, and, and we definitely know now 100%, but you know, it's kind of that chicken and egg game where you, you get to a certain stage where we're really looking to heavily engage with the industry and we're, I won't name names necessarily, but the biggest dogs in the, in the, in the, in the playing field everywhere from, you know, large chemical to large manufacturing of foam all the way to, you know, mom and pop foam street down privately owned down the street. And they obviously all have their different engagement paths in which they're looking for, be it, you know, we just want to eat up your technology and shove it in a drawer. Do we want to co-manufacture this with you, but really, you know, own basically everything. And then the, the mom and pops where it's like, this is our livelihood. How do we make this switch? where we only have so many machines and we, we shut them off what something goes wrong. And it's funny because what we've learned is the biggest challenge isn't necessarily even, it was a hell of a challenge to produce and we're still getting better and better as far as making foam on these, on these existing machines, but it's really validating it to a certain scale internally and what that scale looks like to allow the risk to be lower to a certain point, both in cost, both in manufacturability, both in demand of the marketplace. And like you said, it's all timing. And right now, I think we're hitting that press at this moment where we have developed a full stack. We're now you know, manufacturing at a scale where industry is readily able to process and accept you know, two foot wide plus types of, of sheets and formats. And 
you know, we can get to any length. You're talking like 48 inch roll types of foam standard type of stuff. And our cost is getting to a point without in volume buying our first line coming on, on, you know, onto the market and, and putting out commercial product in Q3 by the end of the year, we're looking at if not, I would say now ish, like I said, cost parity for some of these products we're putting out there. When you look at the, the cold chain market and the protective space market, and, and clearly there's some things we can't compete with, you know, like, are we going to start making peanuts? Probably not. And the point is, is that's not where the demand and need is that we see. Right. And for us, what's kind of really switching on and, and that realization is breaking through is, is super, super challenging because, you know, we took a big risk, I would say, in 2019 when we kind of made the realization that we need to get into packaging. We really need to dive in hard to get to a validated, scalable manufacturing process. I sent one of my, I think we had four guys, five guys at the time. I sent this, you know, his name's Matt. I, I'm trying to think he was probably 25 at the time. I'm like, you're going to Thailand. You're not, you're not coming back until there's an extruder on a ship that you have run on there. You've taken our material and he spent three weeks over there just running with this company. You know, it's a Swedish company based in Thailand and just, just over there by himself. And it's just like, that's the type of initiative. Those are the types of people that just get shit done. And they just go over there and he's like, I'm like, obviously having daily phone calls with him. This is like right before COVID. He's like traveling over there. And like, we're like seeing the news. I'm like, oh shit. And so it's just like, but I, it was that kind of decision matrix where it's like, this has to be done. There's so much risk behind this, but it's a point and moment of the company where if we don't make this magnitude change of, you know, strides in development, not only the materials, but how we're going to produce, we're not going to hit those marks of cost. We're not going to hit those marks of validated manufacturing. And lo and behold, it was, took a lot more than I thought. I thought we're going to get this one extruder for good. It definitely took more than that, but that's kind of the realization. And we're, we're really reaching that point now where we're having conversations with large you know, producers around what that staging looks like as we come into the commercial market this year and into next year. And I mean, it's always been, how do we, how do we make this adoptable on a global scale? And it's understanding it has to run with these machines that are in Japan, it has to run with these machines that are not America, it has to run with these machines that are in Europe. And it's like, how do we develop that platform where we can look at licensing? We can look at really all the different models for people to get this into their business in a way that works for the cost in a way that works for the performance of the products they're trying to make. And, and that's where it's it's that moment. This will be a fun year. It's that moment without a doubt. So it's a good I'm time. sure you've had a few of these, but there's probably been moments where you show up and say, all right, let's find out if this stuff runs and you're holding your breath waiting to see. Uh -oh. I mean, if you had. Uh -oh. oh, my God. I mean, some of them, some of the most scary days where is when we did the first trials out of house and, you know, we were just shooting in the dark. We would find some random. I don't know what to call them because it, it, a lot of times it was more like extrusion manufacturers or extruder manufacturers would allow you to come like trial and run on their machine. And it was just always an absolute shit show. Like they, they, they were not people that knew how to develop anything new. They were trying to just pump out the same machines that ran all these things. So we'd go there and we're like, okay, you're going to help us do some of this. And we'd realize they have no idea what they're doing. And we're just like, okay. And like the first times we'd run, they were like, are we going to blow this machine up? I mean, again, it's a standard machine, same as ours, but there's always differences when you go to these different, you know, these different facilities. And those first few times I'd be like, 
calling my, you know, Matt a lot of times at the time when he'd be over in Florida at some of these and he'd just be like, oh my God. And, you know, basically the entire machine seized up. We spent like two days basically trying to rip the screws out of the machine. I had to drive like down to Miami to get some like machine parts that they didn't. It was just like, you know, you're on the other end of these calls. And and it's funny because, as I said, I mentioned, it's, it's weird not being in that technical room, being that technical person, not only, you know, I, I'm kind of drawn to it to a degree, just given my past in, in engineering. But I relate to this so well because my my previous life was was I spent six years in environmental consulting engineering, and a lot of work I did was was this random MacGyver troubleshooting. I would spend like a week out on Edwards Air Force Base doing all of this like remediation and and site surveying, and you're like in 110 degree weather. You're driving around on a deserted like freaking desert. And it's just like, I, I hear these when I would chat with the team and I just like, it would take me back sometimes. I'd be like, man, this is, it feels like, you know, I'm right where I'm supposed to be in a lot of ways. And, and it just, it's, it, it, it th- those were the times that you appreciate, you know, not only when you look at the, the trials and tribulations of the company, but, you know, personally, you know, the development you get as, as, as a, you know, just individual, you know, I started a family getting this company off the ground and it's just been it's so incredibly lucky and blessed in so many ways. And and you appreciate all that, that hard, that hard shit you had to go through. And, and so it's hopefully this is, this is the good time. We'll see. I'm sure there's many challenges ahead, um, yeah. but it's, it's it, been, it's definitely been a whirlwind. It's uh, it makes for better stories for sure. Uh, there's no yeah. doubt. There's no doubt. I mean, it, it's, I think of some of those times I'm like, man, I don't even know if I can tell these stories. So it's, it's, it's good. It's good. It's somebody asked, uh, who was it? I forget where I got this from. I remember the, I remember the thought somebody asked another entrepreneur, does it get easier? And they said, it doesn't get easier. You just have better outcomes. And I'm like, ah, I think that is a good, that's good. That's good. That's a good one. I wrote that one down and put it on the wall. I'm like, this isn't going to get easier. It's just better outcomes. Yeah, no, that's a really good way to put it. You know, it never gets easier. I think if you if you're lucky enough and and you kind of you know make the the right decisions in your in your early ignorance like i said a lot for me was you surround yourself with people that are smarter than you you surround your people that have been through a lot of this and you're of course going to make mistakes but it's understanding like it's that collaborative effort which is really going to see you know the, the the larger change occur in a way that you know is just it transcends what most times you're ever going to think is going to be possible. Like you said, the better outcomes is such a great way because me and my, I I've seen it for a long time, but it's, 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 it's funny to see it organically be realized by my other employees and specifically Toby, you know, in my, like I said, it's lucky, call it luck, call it karma, call it whatever you want. Like building this company that I look back, you know, probably five to 10 moments where I'm just like, that just came together. Like, you know, that could have gone so many different ways. There were so many influencing things that like, yeah, I tried to control, but there's no way I could have ever controlled that. You know, it just happened. And, you know, some of those have happened more recently. And I, Toby's just coming. He's like, it just feels like there's this karmic energy around how this is happening. And it's like, I'm sure any startup that's had some level of success has felt at some stage or another. But to your point, it's like, it doesn't get easier, but you kind of just have this momentum, this kind of alignment that if you're doing it right, feels like it's just 
almost by mistake that it's happening the way that it's happening. And, and it's, it's, it's a joy to be a part of without a doubt. And I think yeah, it's I, unique. I think, I think you tend to get what you give and when you put in a bunch of effort with, from a lot of good people, you're going to have pretty good stuff happening, but it also, yeah. I think matters like the timing of the wave that you're writing. I mean, that's kind of a, for that's you guys, great. that's very awesome. relatable, right? But <laughs> you know, if you, if you pick a bad wave, you're, you're going to have to paddle like hell to go anywhere. But if you pick a good one, Make some yep. good decisions. Hey, man, things move fast. No, I, that's a that's a great way to put it, and it's and it's one of those things, you know. To your point, um, when you catch a good wave and you're in that kind of just mindset, there's just this. You just get on the right wavelength, and it's it's funny because um, my me and my co-founder were talking about this other day. There's like there's those moments where it's like frantic. You feel like you know your your wavelength is super high frequency. You're all over the place, or maybe you're like super down. But there's moments where it's like, and a wave is a great way to say it. When you're in tune on a wave, you just have this connection that is indescribable in a sense. And it's similar to, I think, when you're in that moment in a startup or in, in kind of an early stage company, and you are just kind of hitting that momentum wave in a way that it's just going. You're just in the flow. You know what's, I think, really cool about your story and just in hearing it from you directly is... Clearly, we talked to a lot of passionate people. You guys have a lot of passion around this. And and not only is it a good idea, but I what impresses the hell out of me is how quickly you guys are, are going to get to cost parity in a in an environment where it's already cheap as hell. Like we have yeah. engineered the heck out of this stuff. And the fact yeah. that you guys can do this with like an innovative solution is like mind-blowing to me. Like this, if you when we first talked, if you said I think within 20 years we'll be there. I would be like, yeah, probably makes sense. The fact that you're yeah. there, like in a big hurry, it's crazy, man. Like you guys, it is, success, it man. is, like, it's, it's happening. I know. And I, I think like for us, we knew that was critical in so many ways and, and it's still going to be stepwise, but for us, it, it, it was understanding the, that connection of not just on, you know, what are the materials we're making? What are the applications are going into? How do we, find materials that nobody's using, make it cheap and nobody wants, but also useful materials that are just kind of on the wayside of other industries. But then it's that connection to scale. And it, and again, it's, it's a double-edged sword because there's certain areas where for certain biomaterials, that scale is only going to come through more novel processes. Yep. And, you know, I think that's fine. It's just not going to be for packaging. Right. And it's understanding for these areas of real impact that need to occur how do we get those levers of change to happen quicker at a timeline that also works for the industry because that's what's difficult yep. is we could be like hey this is going to take 20 years who the who the hell is going to come partner with them and be like yeah we're going to invest 20 years in development for this and then it'll finally be rivaling what we're making just boatloads of cash with over here on this line and you know what we realized is it is honestly being able to foam some of these biomaterials, which have simply never been foamed before and get material out, which is able to not, like I said, perform, but it's really able to be produced at a scale. And that's what's critical because you look at how they convert these products, how they they take these large sheets, they take these large planks. I mean, you look at how some, you know, expanded polystyrene, I mean, people know it's styrofoam, but they literally take giant blocks, like eight foot by eight foot blocks that are 30 yards long, put it on a CNC machine and say, go. And it cuts out 
a million different little shapes of packaging in like, you know, probably not 30 minutes, but say an hour, then all of a sudden you have a million pieces of packaging. It's like, until you start understanding the scale of where these things and how they're being produced, the need to mimic and get, you know, replicate that is, is paramount. And it, and, and it starts not just from the producing, but, you know, how are we sourcing regionally to where these things are being produced? How do we make sure we're producing them where they're being packaged and distributed? It's so interconnected. And I think biomaterials in general have had challenges, not only the producing, but in the global sourcing in a way where it's like, hey, you know, maybe we're only using one material. Maybe we're just using seaweed. Maybe we're just using PHAs. Maybe we're just using, you know, starch is pretty ubiquitous, but again, it has limits. And the point is, is like understanding if we're going to make this in Japan, if we're going to make this in Europe, if we're going to make this in America, even if we're going to make this in the United States, we damn well be able to get our materials as close as we can, not only to reduce cost, but impact, but then have the infrastructure manufacturing around that same place. And I think with what we've been able to do, sourcing not only chitin, but our other materials is develop that supply chain at a very early stage, definitely working here in the US. But I mean, I just spent time in Paris for three weeks chatting with some very interested parties over there. And like why we can do that is because we are literally now getting connected to their suppliers because their suppliers are being told by these, I won't say who yet, but insanely high luxury, wealthy brands telling their suppliers, we have to get away from plastic foams. And these are suppliers they've worked with for decades. They don't want to move away. They have strong relationships. And now they can go to these suppliers and say, you don't, we don't have to stop using you. There is technology that can be taken into your facilities. Yes, with some infrastructure, you know, small novel, you know, that adaptations to make sure we can run that material. But you don't have to change your equipment. You don't have to sh shut everything down. And that's what's really breaking, I think, this misconception around what biomaterials can be on the global scale. And and cool. it's it's really happening quickly and and i think it's more about how fast can we get this into these industries that need this change absolutely 20 years ago in all honesty it's cool how it's cool how in that example it's consumers putting pressure on luxury brands who put pressure down the chain yep. to groups yep. that probably you know, they're, they're trying to produce the best product they can and protect their margins, you know, more than oh, without a doubt. So and, cool. and I mean, like, and, 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 and there, as and you should, as you should. And, you know, I think what's not, I just say not fair because I think they probably could have changed or put more effort into changing, but it is also something to be considered. A lot of these goods, you know, be it high end luxury, be it appliances, TVs, there is a ton of energy, a ton of carbon, a ton of, you know, um, basically, impact that's embedded inside those those goods and if they're damaged in transit obviously that yep. that's all lost and so clearly the packaging needs to perform and i think that's to what we've been chatting about especially in the foam space i think you know injection molded plastics we have some cups we have some cutlery could they be done better probably but there's solutions there's absolutely nothing out there that we've seen until you know i would say us that has been able to serve these types of needs for these types of products to protect them in a way while trying to be green. And it just hasn't been an option. Definitely not a cost parity. And I think that's where you look at those 
needs. And it's really understanding that value chain is so critical. And for us, it's like, okay, great. This is going to work for the end of life. This is going to work for the consumer. Well, we can't stop there. This has to work for the producer. This has to work for the you know distributor. This has to work for the sourcing manager. And it's just like understanding that connection is so critical to actually cause change because you break in one of those links along that chain. Yeah. It's going to be very difficult and, and, and it's happening. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be telling. Well, I have to tell you, I mentioned to somebody uh, today that you and I were chatting and uh, <laughs> a person who I would probably assume uh, is not passionate about foam was very excited that <laughs> we were going to feature cruise foam. So for anybody, awesome. for anybody else uh, who uh, interest is peaked, where, what's a good place for them to follow your guys' progress in your story? Yeah, no, of course, you know, our, our website, cruisefoam.com. And then, you know, all the social, you just look up cruise foam on, on Insta, Twitter, Facebook, all the good stuff. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a lot of, you know, activity over the back half of this year. We have some, some, you know, exciting announcements coming out in the middle of this year and then some pretty big ones. Um, I would say looking at the Q3, Q4 timeframe. So it's definitely a good time to keep an eye on, on us, but I think um, it's just the beginning. It, it'll be, I think this is really, like I said, this is that moment and we do this right next year. It's just going to be bonkers. Yeah. I, I can't wait from what we're already seeing and the conversations we're having internationally. This is ready to explode. It's it, it, people have been waiting for solutions in this type of, you know, space for, for quite some time. Um, it'll be good. That's awesome. Sounds like you guys are just hitting the on-ramp. So I'd wish you luck, but I don't think you need any of it. So John, well, thanks, no, I'll always take it. I'll always take, take it. all of it. <laughs> John, no, I appreciate you sure. coming on and sharing the story. It's been, it was a great one. No, I, I, I really appreciate it, Justin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, we've learned a lot from this podcast series and we put the good stuff in a handful of PDF frameworks. It's topics like messaging, channel strategy, and market fit. You can grab them at nativedigital.com slash resources.